Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on. Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Do you remember that game, which one of these doesn't belong? One of these things is not like the other. Let's play that a couple times in, uh, uh, with a couple simple ones. So um, this first one is shapes. The question is, which one of these doesn't belong? We're uh, liable to be tricked into thinking it's the gray triangle, but of course, uh, the object that doesn't belong is the hexagon. It's the only object that is not in the shape of a triangle. How about this one with numbers? Which one of these doesn't belong? Well, nine is three squared, 16 is four squared, 25 is five squared, and 43 is not the square of anything. It's a prime number. So 43 is the one that doesn't belong. How about this one with money? You can see the top left, that's five nickels, 25 cents. Top right's 25 pennies. Bottom right is a quarter, and the bottom left is five quarters. That's a buck 25. So the one on the bottom left with a dollar 25 is the one that does not belong. How about this one? Here is just three praying, fasting, and giving. Which one of these doesn't belong? Does it strike you at all odd that the three things that Jesus mentions in this section of his Sermon on the Mount, the three spiritual disciplines. I mean, he only mentions three. So you would think he would mention like the top three, the most important three. But does it strike any of you as, I don't know, maybe odd that these are the three he mentions? Which one of these to you doesn't belong? I think you'd be uh, hard pressed to argue that uh, praying doesn't belong as a sort of primary spiritual discipline. I think although some of us may wish that giving didn't belong on the list, if we're honest with ourselves, uh, we would be hard-pressed to argue that giving doesn't belong as kind of a primary spiritual discipline. But fasting, I mean, really? Fasting, Jesus? This is one of the three spiritual disciplines that you choose to highlight here? Well, I gotta say at the outset that um, I don't really know why I'm the one speaking to you about fasting. I come to you with next to zero experience, experiential knowledge about fasting. I, I don't fast on a regular basis. It's not a part of my expression of faith in Jesus Christ. Um, I'm not really sure why whoever chose the passage and uh, the sermon title. I'm not really sure why that person chose this. I mean, why would you choose to preach a whole sermon just on fasting, especially if fasting isn't really your gig or your strong point? I'm going to have to talk to that guy. Well, here we are talking about fasting because Jesus talked about it. And you know, as I said a couple weeks ago, 
Jesus says which, with each of these three spiritual disciplines, first with giving, then with praying, and now with fasting, he says, you know, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, he doesn't say if. He doesn't say if you fast, or on the rare occasions that you find yourself giving, or, or you know, if you happen to pray. He doesn't say that. He says when. And so Jesus assumes that these things are a, just a normal part of the new humanity, a normal part of a response to God's faithfulness, a normal part of following Jesus. So let's talk about fasting in this way. I want to just do a quick overview, sort of survey through the scriptures about uh, fasting, where it comes up. Then I want to ask this question, um, you know, how seriously are we to take fasting? Is it a command? Uh, and then I want to look a little bit at Jesus' fast. Did he fast and what did that look like? Uh, and then what is the point of fasting? So that's where we're headed today. So just briefly, a Bible survey on fasting. This isn't an exhaustive list, but there are a number of places where fasting comes up. It comes up uh, as an annual requirement as part of the Day of Atonement. That's a Jewish festival, probably the highest holy day in the Jewish calendar. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 23. And on this day, the Israelites were told to fast, to pray, to worship, to repent, and to fast. The Day of Atonement was a day when the high priest in a symbolic fashion, would place his hands on a scapegoat, a goat or a lamb, and he would symbolically place all of the sin of the people of God on that scapegoat and then send it out into the wilderness. So the scapegoat would literally, well, figuratively, carry away the sin of the people. This, by the way, is what John the Baptist had in mind when he saw Jesus walking towards him and declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb who once and finally for all takes away, carries away into the wilderness of the cross the sin of the world. Jesus was that great scapegoat that the people of Israel celebrated every day of atonement. Anyway, uh, the Israelites would fast as a way of considering the weight of their own sin that's carried away every year during this festival. Sometimes in the Old Testament, the people would be called to a fast in response to a national crisis. So, for example, in Joel chapter 2, we see that Joel calls the people to fast in response to this super destructive locust plague. That's kind of difficult for us to relate to a plague of locusts. Although, if you were reading the news, just in February of this year, East Africa was experiencing an unbelievably damaging plague of locusts. It was like the largest was 37 miles long and 25 miles wide. A swarm of locusts the size of half of Long Island. Crazy. So anyway, in times of national crisis like that, sometimes the Israelites would be called to fast and to pray and to repent. I've noted that many pastors today are calling on the people of God in response to this pandemic to fast and to pray 
and even to repent. Sometimes the people of God would fast as a regular act of devotion to the Lord. We see this in the prophet Anna at the temple when the little infant Jesus is brought by Mary and Joseph to be dedicated. They run into Anna, the prophet there, who has been worshiping and fasting all the time. So we know that fasting can be a regular act of devotion to God. We also know that sometimes the people of God would fast as a way to seek guidance and counsel and discernment from the living God. So in Acts chapter 13, we read about the church in Antioch, how they prayed and fasted. And in the midst of that fast, they discerned that Saul, who became Paul, Saul and Barnabas were being called as missionaries to, uh, to the people. They discern that in the midst of fasting. So clearly there's a precedent for fasting in the Bible. But then the question comes up, is it a command? Are we commanded to fast? And the answer to that question is no. The Bible never commands us to fast, but it does seem to assume that fasting is very often at least a semi-regular practice among the people of God. Most notably, obvious is obviously, is that Jesus assumes that fasting is a regular part of following him. Again, as he says, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. In other words, he assumes that we would fast. Later in Matthew 9, Jesus again talks about fasting. It turns out some people approach Jesus and they ask him why his disciples are not fasting. They're noting that John the Baptist's disciples, they did fast, but Jesus' disciples are not fasting. Why not Jesus? They want to know why. And Jesus says to them, basically, look, as long as I am with you, this is cause for celebration, but there will be a day when I will no longer be with you in the same way. And on that day, then you will fast. And again, Jesus says, you will fast. He doesn't say you might fast or you should think about fasting. He says you will fast. So there's just this assumption again that fasting is part of the life of the new humanity. And I think most significantly, Jesus himself engaged in a 40-day fast to launch his public ministry. So let's take a look just briefly at Jesus' fast recorded for us in Matthew chapter 4, his fast as he prepared for ministry. A couple of things that we can learn or take note about his fast. First of all, it was spirit-led. The text says in Matthew 4 that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. This whole thing was led and prompted by the Spirit of God. Has the Spirit ever or is he now prompting you to consider fasting, to consider stopping, giving something up? Maybe it's food or maybe it's something else. To fast from something for a period. Do you hear the Spirit's voice inviting you into something like that? We also know that during Jesus' fast, he was being prepared for the battle that he was about to engage in with the evil one. And 
he was being prepared for his whole earthly ministry. So when the evil one comes and tempts Jesus three times, Jesus three times responds with scripture. Jesus, in other words, builds his life, his argument, his defense on the word of God. And I think that this happens because Jesus has just spent 40 days fasting from food and feasting on scripture. I think that Jesus feasted on the presence of God, feasted on the word of God, so much so that it became his reflex, his intuitive response to the temptations presented by the evil one. Even when the evil one tried to twist scripture himself in order to trap Jesus, Jesus just automatically responded using the word of God, putting his faith, his foot down on the solid rock of the scriptures. So clearly, Jesus' fast involved a kind of feasting, feasting on the word of God. So what about us? What What's the purpose of fasting? Why would we consider doing something like this? Well, first of all, fasting is abstaining from something. Usually it's food, but it can be something else. Fasting is abstaining from things for spiritual purposes, not for physical purposes. Now, there are some physical reasons to fast. There are, uh, we're learning quite a number of physical benefits to some form of fasting. But that's not why Jesus invites us to fast. That's not why Jesus himself fasted. The purpose of fasting is for spiritual reasons. Right? So it's sort of become vogue these days to fast as a way to detox. And that's all good and fine. Um, and I don't know the science behind that, but presumably there's some decent science behind that. You'll have to ask a medical professional about that. But that's not why Jesus invites us to fast. He invites us to fast so that we might be spiritually detoxed, so that we might be spiritually emptied of all that would keep us from God's presence and then filled with all that would draw us nearer to God's presence. So a few things that uh, fasting does for us. First of all, it reveals the things that control us. It provides us an opportunity to say no to those appetites that would otherwise enslave us. So, for example, if you are controlled by anger, that will certainly rise to the surface in the midst of a fast. Obviously, if you're controlled by, by food, then a fast is going to reveal that to you. Oftentimes, food and other good things become coping mechanisms for us, especially in times of trial. And fasting helps uncover some unhealthy habits or some unhealthy areas in our souls. So fasting reveals things that control us. Fasting can also prevent non-essentials from taking precedence in our life. I think there's a lot of this going on these days. I wonder what in your life you have been fasting from, probably not 
because of your own choice, but because of the situation we're in, what has been absent from your life. And as a result, you have come to realize that those things you thought were actually essential are not essential. Fasting helps prevent those things from taking precedence in our lives. And also fasting makes room for us to be filled with what is really good. Fasting is not primarily about emptying our stomachs. It's primarily about being filled with the goodness and presence of God. It's about our souls being filled up. So fullness is the goal, not emptiness. Krista and I have been watching an animated TV series called The Legend of Korah. Uh, we borrowed this from Kyle Glick, one of our student ministry leaders, and uh, he introduced us to this. And uh, actually Tanner Arell and Chloe Roy, they introduced us to the prequel or the series that goes before this called um, Avatar, The Last Airbender. It's been super fun to watch these animated series. But in The Legend of Korra, there's this character who is a kind of Zen Buddhist. His name is Zahir. And one of his repeated meditations or chants is all about emptiness, about emptying himself. And uh, I want to play you just a brief clip from, uh, from The Legend of Korra. This is Zahir. Zahir says, let go your earthly tether, enter the void, empty, and become wind. Let go your earthly tether, empty and void. His goal was emptiness, detachment. But the goal of a disciple in fasting is not actually emptiness. That's just a means to a goal. The goal is actually attachment to the living God and being filled with the living God. Yes, we're emptying our stomachs. Yes, we're detaching from our dependence upon things that we're fasting from. But the purpose is fullness in Christ and attachment to Christ. So how do we fill ourselves with Jesus? Well, by doing what Jesus did which is feasting on the scriptures. Yes, we're fasting, and that provides us an opportunity to feast on God's word. So I would encourage you, if and when, not if, when you fast, to maybe substitute your meal time for a Bible reading time. Whatever time you might have spent cooking or eating, use that time to read the scripture. Use that time to sit in silence and listen for God's voice. Use that time to pray. The point is to be filled with the presence of God. Do you remember when Jesus said near the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then what does he say? For they shall be filled when you hunger and thirst for right relatedness with God and with yourself and with others, when you hunger for this, you will be filled. And that is the blessing. Well, what about some dangers of fasting? We ought to talk about that a little bit at least. 
a few dangers. The first Jesus points out to us rather plainly. He says, when you fast, beware that you don't do it the way the hypocrites do, the way the play actors do, those people who are pretending to be somebody that they're not. You see, the play actors or the hypocrites, they fast because they're seeking the praise of men, the praise of women not the praise of God. They want to show off. They want everyone to see them. They want everyone to see how spiritually rigorous they are. And so they even disfigure their faces so that they can look really famished. Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be like the play actors. The reason we fast is to seek the approval of God and the nearness of God and to give glory to God. Secondly, another danger is we can attempt to manipulate God into our own agenda. So Richard Foster wrote this wonderful book on the spiritual disciplines. It's called The Celebration of Discipline. It's maybe the best. And he writes this. He says, at times there is such stress upon the blessings and benefits of fasting that we would be tempted to believe that with a little fast, we could have the world, including God, eating out of our hands. In other words, we can sometimes, uh, we are in the danger of thinking, you know, I'm going to pray for something, and I'm going to pray fervently, and I'm going to add a little fast in there, so that God sort of has to answer my prayer, so that God has to do what I'm asking him. You, you see, we would never say that out loud, but there's a danger that we can begin to think, I'm gonna fast so that I can up the odds of me getting my way. Uh, thirdly, fasting, uh, a danger of fasting is that we can become legalistic. The Apostle Paul warns us in his letter to the Colossians about this. He writes in Colossians 2, he says, Do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink. Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value in checking self-indulgence. What Paul is getting at here is that all of these spiritual disciplines, all of these traditions, all of these things that can be very good in helping us connect with God, when those things become the main things, when those spiritual disciplines become gods in and of themselves, then we have become legalistic. When we begin to say, you must fast in order to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And in fact, you must fast twice a week on Wednesdays and Fridays. That was actually the requirement of the Pharisees. We don't want to become legalistic with our fasting. There's a popular saying in our household, and it goes like this. Um, I learned it from my father-in-law. The saying is, you know, there's always room for ice cream. Uh, you know, like for example, when a, uh, when a server comes around at a restaurant, would you like to look at the dessert menu? Would you like uh, to consider a dessert today? And usually the truth is I'm stuffed. I'm super full from dinner. But 
I mean, there's always room for ice cream, right? Because it just melts in between the cracks. It fills all of the empty spaces that are still left in my stomach, even though I feel, feel so full. Sometimes we can treat Jesus like ice cream. After we've filled up our days with everything else, then we add a little bit of Jesus in at the end because he can just fill in the cracks. There's always room for a little bit of Jesus at the end of the day. But fasting is a spiritual discipline in which we intentionally make more room for Jesus. We intentionally make Jesus the main course. We make him the entree. We make him the main thing. And we fill up on him as we feast on his presence and on his word. That's what fasting is all about. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He didn't say, as someone has so keenly pointed out, I am the cake and ice cream of life. Jesus is not dessert, uh, a nice extra add-on, a little sweetness to top things off. Jesus is the main course. He's the bread of life without which we will perish, without which we will be severely malnourished. You can live without ice cream. You can live without dessert. You cannot live without bread. We cannot live without Jesus. And when we fast from physical bread, we provide an opportunity for Jesus to really more and more become the entree, the main course in our lives. That's why it's appropriate that this Sunday, while we're talking about fasting, that we would actually celebrate the Lord's Supper, that we would eat and drink in remembrance of Jesus Christ, that we would take bread and that we would take fruit of the vine and that we would ingest them, filling ourselves with the very presence and power of Jesus Christ, being nourished by his presence. Friends, let's turn to the communion table together as we feast on Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at cpchb.org.